Hello， 同情家族，欢迎收听 Look Back Sunday。在这个节目，张老师会汇整过去不同国家与主题的热门跟读文章，让你可以在十五分钟内吸收最精华的世界时事趣闻。Let's get right to it. The magazine business from the coolest place to the coldest one. I miss magazines. It's a strange ache. Because they are still sort of with us, staring out from the racks at supermarket checkout lines, fanned wanly around the table in hotel lobbies, showing up in your mailbox long after the subscription was cancelled, like an ex who refuses to accept the breakup. But they are also disappearing. This accelerating erosion has not been big news during a time of pandemic, war, and actual erosion. And yet, the absence of magazines authoritatively documenting such events, or distracting from them, as they used to do with measured regularity, is keenly felt. Time marches on or limps, but life is gone. There's no more money. The print editions of their former sister publications, Entertainment Weekly and InStyle, which once frothed with profit, stopped publishing in February. It's been au revoir to Savoir and Marie Claire, shrouds for Playboy, Paper, and O. As I type this, people are tweeting about the Believer being bought by a sex toy site. Two recent books, Dilettante, by Dana Brown, a longtime editor at Vanity Fair, and a new biography of Anna Wintour by Amy O'Dell, formerly of Cosmopolitan.com, are graveyards of dead or zombie titles. That were once glowing hives of human whim. There were so many magazines in 1994. Brown writes, "So many new magazines and so many great magazines. All the young talent of the moment was eschewing other industries, and flocking to the business. It was the coolest place to be. Then suddenly, the coldest. On the big fancy cruise ship that Brown had just boarded." Vanity Fair, where he'd been beckoned by Graydon Carter, while a barback at the restaurant Forty Four, he and so many others then could only see the tip of an enormous iceberg they were about to hit: the internet, smartphones, little self-edited monster magazines that will not rest until their owners die, were on the horizon. These may have looked like life rafts, but they were torpedo boats. Every year, the American Society of Magazine Editors issues a handsome award—a brutalist-looking elephant caught the Ellie, modeled after an Alexander Calder elephant sculpture. Any writer would be proud to have it on the mantelpiece. The history of modern American literature is braided together with its magazines. The future can feel like a lot of loose threads waving in the wind. Next. The not-so-glossy future of magazines. One evening in mid-September, a gaggle of writers and bon vivant editors gathered by the outdoor fireplace and ivy-covered trellis of a West Village tavern. Steak was served, and the toasts lasted late into the night. The revelry trickled out to the nearby sidewalk. It could have been a scene from the jazz age heyday of the Manhattan magazine set, or even the 1990s. When glossy monthlies still soaked up millions of dollars in advertising revenue, 
and editors in chauffeur town cars told the nation what to wear, what to watch, and who to read. This night, however, had an elegiac tinge. The staff of Vanity Fair was saluting the magazine's longtime editor, Graydon Carter, who had announced that he was departing after a 25-year run. In the back garden of Carter's restaurant, the Waverly Inn, star writers like James Wolcott and Marie Brenner spoke of their gratitude and grief. Carter had always had a knack for trends. Within two weeks, three other prominent editors from Time, Elle, and Glamour announced that they too would be stepping down. Another titan of the industry, Jan S. Winner, said he planned to sell his controlling stake in Rolling Stone after a half century. Suddenly, it seemed, long-standing predictions about the collapse of magazines had come to pass. Magazines have sputtered for years. Their monopoly on readers and advertising erased by Facebook, Google, and more nimble online competitors. But editors and executives said the abrupt churn in the senior leadership ranks signaled that the romance of the business was now yielding to financial realities. As publishers grasp for new revenue streams, a try anything approach has taken hold. Time Inc. has a new streaming TV show, Pawns and Claws. That features viral videos of animals. Hearst started a magazine with the online rental service Airbnb. Increasingly, the long-time core of the business, the print product, is an afterthought, overshadowed by investments in live events, podcasts, video, and partnerships with outside brands. The changes represent one of the most fundamental shifts in decades for a business that long relied on a simple formula. Glossy volumes thick with high-priced ads. Sentimentality is probably the biggest enemy for the magazine business, David Carey, president of the Hearst Magazines, said in an interview. You have to embrace the future. Next, Edward Enenfall is named editor in chief at British Vogue. Edward Enenfall, the creative and fashion director of the U.S. magazine W, is set to replace Alexandra Shulman as editor in chief of British Vogue, its parent company, Condé Nast, confirmed Monday. The first man and the first black editor to take the helm of Britain's most powerful fashion publication in its 100-year history, Enenfall will begin his new role August 1. A top stylist and acclaimed fashion director. Who migrated to Britain from Ghana as a child, the 45-year-old Enenfall is known for his cheerful demeanor, his legendary fashion covers, and for having an army of loyal fans in and out of the fashion business. He received an order of the British Empire in June for his services to diversity in the fashion industry. Condé Nast's international chairman and chief executive Jonathan Newhouse. Called Enenfall an influential figure in the communities of fashion, Hollywood, and music, which shaped the cultural zeitgeist, and added that by virtue of his talent and experience, Edward is supremely prepared to assume the responsibility of British Vogue. The appointment comes three months after Newhouse named another man, Emmanuel Fanetti, to the helm of Italian Vogue following the death of Franca Sozzani. Enenfall was an unexpected choice. Born in Ghana, Enenfall was raised by his seamstress mother in the Ladbroke Grove area of London, alongside five siblings. 
At 16, he became a model for the British magazine ID after being scouted while traveling on the tube, London's subway system. He has called modeling his baptism into fashion. By 17, he was assisting on photography shoots for the publication with the stylist Simon Foxton and Beth Summers. In 1991, at 18, he took over from Summers as ID fashion editor, making him one of the youngest ever leaders of a major fashion publication. He also obtained a degree from Goldsmiths, University of London. Although there are a handful of notable exceptions, the fashion industry has a dearth of black power players, and that had been a source of immense frustration for Enenville, who has made a considerable effort to improve things. He has made headlines with accusations of racism, including after he was assigned to sit in the second row at a couture show in Paris in 2013 when white counterparts were in the first. Good job and thanks for tuning in. 想要收听更多过去的跟读单元以及节目，欢迎到我们官网 www.15minutes.today。有兴趣John老师以及其他资深英语老师对谈的节目，记得周末也要回来收听我们同情学英语。Catch you in the next one.